0: The first, degree.
1: first degree, first degree,
0: first degree, first degree, first degree, first degree, the first degree. You see it on the news, you see it on the paper, you
2: see it on Facebook. These things are supposed to happen in movies, not in real life.
3: You know, as far as we know, he stopped in 91 and he got quiet and and. And then in 04, it was the 30th year anniversary of Oteros and he watched it on TV and he read about it in the newspaper and he said that woke him back up and that he wanted to go play cat and mouse again is what he calls it. And so he's the one that basically caught himself because he started co- communicating with the police and they, you know, threw everything at him to find him. So, of course, they are the ones that caught him. But if he had not come out, he would never been found. I mean, literally, we would have found this crap in our house when he died.
4: Welcome to The First Degree, the true crime podcast that you might end up on. My name is Jack Vanek. I'm sitting far away from Alexis Linklater and Billy Jensen, and today is a very special day. We have part three and the conclusion of our BTK series. So if you haven't listened to parts one and two, stop right now, go back two weeks. And we still have Dennis Rader's daughter, Carrie, with us. And on today's episode, we're going to take you through the most riveting and visceral facets of her experience when she discovered that her father was BTK. But before we jump into all that, I have a very important question to ask. Billy, what day is it? It's
0: National Chicken Wing Day.
4: Yes. What? Yes. Is happening. I know. It is. I've never been so excited. And Bill, there it's also National Cheese Sacrifice Purchase Day, which I'm not on board with.
5: Sacrifice cheese in your purchasing is not conducive to this podcast. No. no. It's not. There I'm, should always be a cheese in your grocery basket.
0: Yes. It's also International Tiger Day. And it's rain day, and rain is one of my favorite things. So
4: it's interesting I'm, that rain okay. day is in the middle of July. Mm-hmm. I guess for the Midwest it rains, but we're not seeing rain over here on the West Coast. Well, only in California. Okay, rain. I don't coming. know.
5: I'm not a huge fan of rain um, in Los Angeles just because of the critters. We get tons of mosquitoes when there's rain and the cockroaches come out to play when there's rain. They do. And They're I not
4: We're not used to rain over here. That It's all the I'm stuff down, gets, like pushed up from the underground. No rain day. Yes, a chicken wing day. <laughs> no cheese sacrifice day. All the cheese. All the time. I don't, some person that was allergic to cheese probably made up that day. I don't like it, but you know, that's enough of that. So let's turn down the lights and turn up your anxiety
0: because this could be you.
5: ritual that was meticulously followed by thousands of people who lived in the Wichita area in the 1970s and the 1980s. You arrive at your house and you walk up to the front door, keys in hand. You unlock the door, you step inside, you turn on the lights, and then you run to the phone. You pick up the receiver and you listen for a dial tone. And whether or not you heard that flat, shrill, slightly out of tone hum could mean life or death. And if we're talking death... We're not talking any old ordinary death. We're talking death by ligature strangulation. We're talking hours of torture, being strangled to the brink of death and then allowed to have one gasping breath before being strangled again. We're talking hours of taunting before death. And even once the life is choked out of you, the experience isn't over. There would be pictures of your tied up body that would be taken with a Polaroid. There would be masturbation near your body at the scene. And along with that would come a reeling reaction from the community, a heartbroken family, and a sonic wave of fear that would reverberate through the community. And ultimately, eventually, the person who killed you would write a detailed letter to police taking credit for your senseless murder. On last week's episode, we took you through the murders of Nancy Fox, Maureen Hedge, Vicki Weggerly, Shirley Vane, and finally, Dee Davis would be btk's final victim we left off last week with a porcelain mask that d was wearing when she was found following Dee's murder the killer would go underground and would be beckoned to re-emerge following the years of silence btk had fatally flawed narcissism and would essentially rat himself out after a cat and mouse game with police that lasted three decades
4: so today's case takes us back to January 15th of 2004. The top movie in theaters was Save the Last Dance with Julia Stiles, Sean Patrick Thomas, and Carrie Washington. The song topping the charts was Independent Women by Destiny's Child. It was a good day. And on January 15th of 2004, it marked a very important anniversary. It was 30 years to the day that the unsolved Otero quadruple homicide had occurred. So, in an attempt to keep the pursuit of BTK alive, the Wichita Eagle released an in-depth article in which the original investigators were interviewed. The tone of the article was somber and frustrated because everyone expected BTK to be caught by now.
0: Right, because by 2004, the police had invested more than 100,000 hours in pursuit of BTK. Over the years, they tried almost everything, and there is no doubt that these horrific murders remained at the forefront of the minds of those who lived through them. But 30 years had passed, which meant that for many, these crimes, and also the fear of BTK, were moving further and further away in the rearview mirror. BTK had not been heard from, which for investigators was both a gift and a curse. It's a gift, obviously, because more people hadn't died. And it seemed as if this BTK problem was now the burden of maybe some other jurisdiction. But it was also a curse because without contact or another crime scene, there were no new threads to pull. No new threads that could help unravel the identity of this monster. So when the Wichita Eagle released this article, no one was expecting to hear from BTK as a result. But they did.
5: Right, because they had also written one of these articles on the 20-year anniversary, and nothing had happened. So their assumption was, of course, that this guy is is gone. But it seemed as though Dennis Rader missed having his moniker in the papers. And we say this because once the Wichita Eagle released their 30-year Otero murder commemorative article, they received a letter from BTK. But he had used the name Bill Thomas Kilman on the return address. And accompanying the letter was a photocopy of victim- Vicki Weggerly's driver's license in photos of Vicki's body that had been taken by her killer. Needless to say, the author of the letter took credit for Vicki Weggerly's murder. And this letter was the shot of adrenaline that law enforcement needed to ramp up their efforts and finally catch this guy.
4: And the same spring, the BTK made contact with the media is also when Dennis Rader took his family to a tulip festival in Michigan. And this is proof that he retained his keen ability to deceive everyone around him. He was 59 years old, he was balding, he was out of shape, he was a dog catcher and the president of his church congregation. And on that same road trip with his family, he decided to visit his uncle. The two of them had a lovely day catching up and taking trips down memory lane. Dennis Rader was living a normal life with normal hobbies, normal passions, and a normal family. And he had all of this after he put 10 innocent victims in the ground. In
5: parts one and two, Carrie, our first degree, Dennis Rader's daughter, expressed the fact that she's never actually met, quote unquote, BTK, because she said if she had, she'd be dead. But in hindsight, she realizes that she may have been shown glimpses of him over the years.
2: Um.
5: And so there,
3: there are two incidents where he was um, physically abusive towards my brother, where he tried to strangle my brother from the front. Um, when my freshman year in college, we had a falling out and over dinner and the dinner table crashed. He sprung up and tried to strangle my brother and then did it a few years later. So again, in hindsight, looking back, you know, it's, it's taken a long time to be able to process these things because things you just sort of brushed off or you just forgave or you thought, well, that's the worst thing my father could ever do or was out of character or you realize that's just really the tip of this iceberg of this person. You know, as far as we know, he stopped in 91 and he got quiet. and, and, And then in 04, it was the 30th year anniversary of Otero's and he watched it on TV and he read about it in the newspaper and he said that woke him back up. And that he wanted to go play cat and mouse again is what he calls it. And so he's the one that basically caught himself because he started communicating with the police. And they, you know, threw everything at him to find him. So, of course, they are the ones that caught him. But if he had not come out, he would have never been found. I mean, literally, we would have found this crap in our house when he died.
4: By 2004, the police had the upper hand in that forensic science had progressed significantly. When BTK was committing his murders, DNA technology was not even close to where it was in 2004. But despite that, investigators collected biological evidence from the scene in the form of not only semen samples, but also scrapings from underneath fingernails of victims like Vicki Wagerly. And under Vicki's nails, they found partial DNA profiles from one unknown male, presumably her killer. And where there is DNA, there is a solvable case. And now all the cops needed was the right suspect. And over the years, the police had accrued a significantly large list of potential suspects. And using the DNA, they went from one suspect to the next and eliminated them.
0: But now the killer was communicating again. The police were bracing themselves for BTK's next move— And it arrived in the form of a word puzzle that was sent to K-A-K-E TV, which we're calling Cake TV. And this thing, you can Google it. It looks like a word search game that you would find on a kid's menu at a restaurant. It's a grid with rows and rows of seemingly random letters. But if you start searching diagonally, horizontally, and vertically, words emerge. And it's kind of separated out in sections. And the first section seems to describe how the killer stalks a victim. Showing words such as prowl, fallow, fantasies, spot victim, steam builds, and go for it. Another section suggests possible disguises. Realtor, insurance, serviceman, fake ID, and handyman.
5: And these were sort of the ruses he would do when he would approach the door to get in. He'd pretend he was the cable guy, the electrician. Like, that's how he got into the homes during the day. Because most of them were during the day. Actually, I think all of them were. Uh, So he would have like a ruse. So that's what that's about.
0: Yeah, and the most surprising finding in the charge may be the numbers six two two zero, and this would turn out to be the same number as Raider's address in Park City. And this is something actually that Son of Sam used in his letters. He actually gave directions to his house uh, in the form of in in the letters encoded. So I think he was definitely looking at, at at other serial killers. We can now link these words and these numbers back to Dennis Rader with meaning, but before his identity was known, these words and numbers were just baffling to detectives, and they didn't know whether there was any significance or whether this was an attempt to push detectives down rabbit holes that would lead nowhere.
5: Right, because BTK's use of this word puzzle has prompted many people to look for connections between he and that of the Zodiac Killer. So, the Zodiac Killer murdered at least 7 people and possibly up to 20 in Northern California between December of 68 and October of 69. And it has remained one of the world's greatest unsolved crimes. The Zodiac nickname was derived from a series of cryptic and taunting letters which, you know, are kind of reminiscent of what BTK does, but these letters were posted and uh, sent to the media from the San Francisco Bay Area. And these correspondences included ciphers, and only one of four have been decoded. And there's confusion about whether the other three can be decoded or if they're also sort of uh, red herrings to just make uh, investigators go in circles. But there are some individuals who believe without question that BZK is the Zodiac killer. And these conclusions are made based on handwriting as well as other commonalities that exist between the Zodiac and BZK correspondences. Some people also
3: think my dad's the Zodiac and I'm like, it doesn't match up. Like you guys are idiots. Like my dad was overseas in the military. Like my dad's not the Zodiac dudes. I'm sorry to tell you that. <laughs> the taunting and the, the codes, like the, the codes, but nothing, the MO doesn't match. And my father was never in California, whatever.
4: On June 9th of 2004, a month after Cake TV received the word puzzle, a package was found taped to a stop sign at the corner of two really busy streets in Wichita. Inside, there was a letter that detailed gruesome descriptions of the Otero murders and a drawing with the words, the sexual thrill is my bill. And that was written all over it. In the package, there is also a chapter list for a book entitled The BTK Story, and chapter one's title was A Serial Killer is Born.
0: Yeah, so he he's already writing his own story.
4: Yeah, he's writing his autobiography. <sighs> yeah. Piece of shit.
0: A little over a month later in July, another strange package was discovered at the Wichita Public Library, and this package had been slipped into the after-hours book return slot. There were writings inside that contained more bizarre claims, including that BTK was responsible for the death of 19-year-old Jake Allen in Argonia, Kansas, earlier that same month. Now, this claim was actually found to be false, and the teen's death was determined to be death by suicide. But this is odd because it's something new for BTK. Because in the past, he would take credit for murders that he actually committed. He had never tried to take credit for something he hadn't actually done before. And it makes you think, is it possible that he did this because at 59 years old, and with the progress of technology and crime scene forensics, it would be a lot harder for BTK to get away with physically perpetrating an actual murder? We don't know.
5: So three months later, at the end of October, another package was found in a UPS Dropbox was a manila envelope containing a series of cards with images of terror and bondage of children pasted onto them. The package, of course, also included a letter. There was a poem threatening the life of the lead investigator who was hunting BTK, and that was Lieutenant Ken Landwehr. And the package also had a false autobiography containing many details about BTK's life, so it claimed. So in the letter, BCK claimed, That he was born in 1939, false, not true. His grandfather played the fiddle and died of lung disease, not sure. This would have been in the early 1900s, so it's hard to corroborate that. That his mother dated a railroad detective, possible, but unlikely. That he was a veteran, that is true. That he was fascinated with trains, I don't fucking know. Everyone likes trains. Who hates a train? (laughs)
0: Love trains.
5: (laughs) Exactly. And that he had a Hispanic acquaintance named Petra who lived who had a younger sister named Tina. All right, I guess. So random. But unlikely. So these details included in the letter were later released to the public to see if they rang bells for anyone in the community. Like, does anyone have anyone who ticks all these boxes? Of course, no one did because most of them are false. And The the ones that were true were things like being a veteran, which at that time, his his age group, there are more veterans probably than any other age. So it doesn't really do much in the sense of narrowing suspects. So anyways, maybe you like trains who who really knows what's going on. But either way, it was back to the drawing board for police because they learned nothing as a result of this letter.
4: Right, and we're going to fast forward two months to December of 2004, and this is when police were alerted to the discovery of yet another package in a nearby park. Inside this package was the driver's license of the BTK victim Nancy Fox, which had been stolen from her home when she was killed. Also inside the box was one of the most chilling pieces of evidence connected to BTK, and this is right on par with the creepy mass that was left on the body of Dolores D. Davis. It was a Barbie doll that was symbolically bound at the hands and feet with a plastic bag tied over its head, and this is mimicking what was done to the majority of BTK's victims.
5: Unsurprisingly, the media exploded over BTK once again, And media started playing this recording that they had of BTK's voice from when he called the police to lure them to the homicide scene of Nancy Fox. And we're quite sure, just based on what we know, that Dennis Rader was basking in all this media attention for the bulk of 2004. But that leads us to the question, what was his daughter Carrie doing? What did she think of the coverage? Did she listen to this audio clip and recognize her dad's voice?
3: You know, people are like, how did you never hear it? And I'm like, they never played it when I was older, you know, and then I wasn't in Wichita in 04 when he was playing his cat and mouse game. So I only read like two news articles about it, talked to my mom once. I never heard it. I mean, if I had heard that news, if I had heard that audio clip in 04, I don't think I would have thought it was my dad because that's such a big leap. But I also think that if I had been in Wichita in '04, I like to solve things. I probably would have been trying to figure this out. And it, this might have been in a completely different way.
5: 2004 came and went as police scrambled for ways to smoke out this killer's identity. And you have to imagine what they're thinking and the frustration and the pressure. For many years, they believed with certainty that BTK had to be dead or he must have moved. And we say this, this isn't like a normal serial killer they used to just think somebody doesn't stop killing right but beyond this this guy was so engaged with the media seemingly so addicted in the media attention so addicted to seeing his name on the screen in the newspapers he must be dead because how does someone go from being that obsessed with yourself that that enthralled with being this killer and and engaging with not only police but also the media to just completely silent and then suddenly over a decade goes by because remember his last contact was in ninety one. It's 04. Suddenly he's back to exactly where he was, the exact same momentum. Where every couple months a package is showing up with with a doll or or a word puzzle. Like he's reengaged as if no time had passed at all. And it really is a mind fuck for detectives because they at that point didn't know that killers could stop. So this was rewriting all of the profiling all at the same time. And suddenly, the same species of fear that the community knew in Wichita decades prior was back with a vengeance. Suddenly, people snapped back to checking for cut phone lines the moment they walked
0: in the door. 2005 comes, and it may have been a new year, but BTK was using his same tricks. An eager BTK sent a postcard to Cake TV describing a package he claimed to have left by the side of the road. In this postcard, BTK also asked about the status of another package that he said he left at the Home Depot a few weeks earlier. The roadside package turned out to be a cereal box containing a letter. And it described in sickening detail his first crime, which was the Otero murders in 1974. The box also held some jewelry and a doll with a rope around its neck. The doll was tied to a curved PVC pipe, apparently representing Josephine Otero. But it was BTK's reference to a package at the Home Depot that gave investigators their first big break in this decades-long case. An initial search of the premises turned up nothing from BTK, but a store employee told police that his girlfriend had found a cereal box with writing on it in the bed of his pickup truck about two weeks earlier. The employee just thought it was a joke and actually threw the box away.
4: Right. And the police recovered his trash and they found the box. And thank God that they did, because inside the box were several documents, including one in particular, where BTK asked the police if he could communicate with them via a floppy disk without being traced. Oh, my God. And he said, if so, he asked the police to place a newspaper ad saying, quote, Rex, it will be okay." So, of course, the police could not run this ad fast enough. Running this ad was signaling to BTK that it was, quote-unquote, totally safe for him to send a floppy disk to them. And, of course, they didn't and couldn't identify him through this disk. So the police crossed their fingers that there would be something on the disk that would lead them to the killer. And BTK, he's so desperate to communicate with them that he believed them when they said that they couldn't trace him. And this is another classic example of BTK's narcissism outing him. So police also, at the same time, they pull up the surveillance from the Home Depot and they observe an unidentified man in a black Jeep Grand Cherokee pull up alongside the employee's pickup truck where the cereal box was found. So slowly all these pieces of the puzzle are coming together. And everyone tied to this investigation was on the edge of their seats, waiting and hoping that a floppy disk from BTK would materialize. And two weeks later, it does. The disk was sent to a local TV news station, and in the package was also a gold chain, a photocopied cover of a novel about a murderer who bound and gagged his victims, and several index cards, and one of which gave instructions for communicating with BTK through the newspaper.
5: The police popped this floppy into a computer tower, and on it was one file that contained the message, quote, this is a test. And it also contained additional instructions for further communication with BTK. So the police looked inside the quote unquote properties section of this document that was saved onto this disk, and they could see that this file had last been saved by somebody named Dennis. Now, this is just a first name. And it could have been a ruse. I mean, this is something BTK had done before. When police searched through the disk, they discovered in a file that had been deleted that the disk had been used at a computer tied to the Christ Lutheran Church. So the police did a Google, as one is to do when they find anything, and they pulled up the church website. And there, on the homepage, on the landing page, more than likely, was a smiling picture of Dennis Rader, president of the congregation. Police quickly learned that Dennis Rader was a code compliance officer for the city of Park City, had an office at City Hall, in fact, located his address, drove past his house and saw a black Jeep Grand Cherokee in the driveway, the same vehicle that was seen in the surveillance footage outside Home Depot after this cereal box package had been found in the employee's pickup truck. So we know what happens next. He gets taken into custody. This is huge. This is historic. This is a massive victory for investigators who have been chasing this man, losing sleep over this man, and killing themselves to capture this man for decades. But this, of course, was not a victory for the family of Dennis Rader. What was to come for them was, in essence, life shattering.
3: Well, so the FBI comes. the door it's like one guy and so part of the problem is they sent in an accountant like an accountant with a badge not like a criminal guy to me not like somebody that knew how to work with crime victims so he was completely like out of his element too do you he was like do you know a btk and i was like well i've heard there's like somebody named that back in wichita and i was like i heard he he's like strangles women i was like oh I was like, had something happen to my mom or grandma. So I'd like totally freaked out on him. And he was like, no, no, they're fine, but you can't talk to them. And I was like, well, then how do you know they're fine? He's like, no, they're fine. He's like, your dad's been arrested. and I'm like, what? He, he like basically just drops this bombshell on me in my kitchen that my dad was BTK. It wasn't like we're, we're questioning him or we're looking at him. Dad is BTK.
5: Grief is defined as a mental suffering or distress that is caused by loss or affliction, sharp sorrow, or painful regret. And they say that the grieving process hits you in stages.
3: And so, like, he's telling me this. First, it was just like the shock of, like, you know, when you lose somebody in an accident or if you've lost somebody, you know, in a murder or something like that. Unexpected, like, like that, like I had lost my dad. And then the insanity of like all this stuff's coming out, coming out, coming out. So I went into like physical shock. I was basically going into physical shock in front of this officer and he didn't do jack shit, you know, like he didn't get me water. He didn't get me a blanket. He didn't get me help, you know, and I I was in physical shock for like five days. My husband came home. We were young. We were in our twenties. We didn't know anybody in Michigan. So nobody knew I was in physical shock for five days. And that's where a lot of my messed up PTSD comes from, from being in physical shock and nobody knocking me out.
5: So there's shock and then there's denial.
3: So I'm trying to alibi my dad. So I'm like telling you, like the same thing I told you, all these great things about my dad. And then I'm like trying to get the dates to alibi him.
5: Then there's bargaining.
3: And he's like, oh, well, there was one in 86. uh, That was the ninth one, Mrs. Riley.
5: Vicki Weggerly. she was the mother of three who was killed as her children watched from behind a locked bathroom door.
3: September of 86. And I hadn't ever heard of that one. And I was like, well, we were at Disneyland the month before, you know, and I was like, that's weird. Like to go to Disneyland and then your dad murders somebody, a mom. And then I started, it just, something hit, like it just sunk right into my gut. And if I even sat here and think about it enough, I would do it again, right? And like, right, like how, you know, something. And I also, I was trying to alibi him that first weekend still. So I made the mistake of getting online and looking up BTK's crimes, even ones that are not his, trying to alibi him. No, that, I shouldn't have done that ever. That really messed me up. And, and that's the first time I heard that audio recording from 77. And when I heard it, I knew it was dad. Again, in hindsight, but I knew that was dad. Because, like, I would go try to alibi him and it would just get worse and worse and worse.
5: Depression. Reflection. Two more stages.
3: You know, we're talking to the FBI. They're telling us they're finding this evidence in the house. So you're, like, trying to wrap, like, you go back and forth between dad and BTK, dad and BTK, and you're trying to match up the timeline, you know, and you're hearing these horrible things about your father He's on all the newspapers everywhere. I mean, I'm literally sitting like in the airport to fly home in Detroit. And he's on those massive screens, you know, and he's in his orange jumpsuit. And that's the first time I had seen my dad in an orange jumpsuit. You know, I mean, I'm not ever going to get that image out of my head. And so we got me to Kansas and we got me to my family in northern Kansas. And I met my mom. And when I got around my family, we basically did sort of the funeral thing where you gather all together and you eat like Kentucky fried chicken, you know, and you watch like Survivor or something and you just hunker down together. And so after I had slept one night at my uncle's house, I woke up and I I was finally done shaking. I literally was physically shaking from Friday till Tuesday morning. So I don't think I ever thought about, oh my God, I mean, there's that, oh my God, how am I going to survive the next five minutes or how am I going to wake up tomorrow? And I woke up Tuesday morning and I like checked my hand and I was like, it had stopped. And that was the first time I knew I was going to like survive.
5: It's almost summer and the best and most sustainable way to shop for a new season is on therealreal.com. The Real, Real is the largest and most trusted source for authenticated luxury resale It's the only place you'll find brands like Hermes, Cartier, Prada, Dior, Staud, Zimmermann, Jacquemus, and more for up to 90% off retail. 10,000 plus new arrivals land every single day from hundreds of brands you love, all authenticated by a team of in-house experts. Whether it's that perfect wedding guest look, a new summer sandal, an updated beach tote, Resort wear for your summer vacation. You're bound to find exactly what you're looking for, plus deals you won't get anywhere else on TheRealReal.com. Visit TheRealReal.com and use code FIRST at checkout for 20% off. Terms apply.
0: Prosecutors assigned to the BTK case ended up issuing a subpoena for a tissue sample from a pap smear that was done on Carrie at a student clinic near Kansas State University when she was a student there five years earlier. DNA tests on that sample showed that Carrie Rader was the daughter of BTK, further cementing her father's fate.
5: So when I read that, I was super uh, confused about how I felt about it because it's such a strange thing to do to kind of put the daughter in, in the process of nailing her dad, because it is, the, of course it's the right thing. And, and it's like, we got to get this guy off the streets no matter what, but in the honor of our theme, which is like empathy and the family and all that stuff. Like it is something to look at because using Carrie's DNA to nail him is shitty for I, her.
0: I, I, all of her. What, I, I just don't understand what, you know, perfect example, because, you know, we've both worked on GSK, GSK, they monitored him, they followed him, they followed him to Hobby Lobby, they 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 eventually got his trash and, uh, and were able to do a one-to-one uh, relationship between his DNA and DNA left at the crime scene. I don't understand why they didn't do that here and why they decided to do this.
5: Well, my theory is, and I consider that, is that so? the impact that BTK had on Wichita is not the same that GSK had on any one community. Mm-hmm. Like, GSK was not even connected as being GSK. There was the original Night Stalker, there was the East Area Rapist, and there was a Vasily Ransacker until the early 2000s. You know what I mean? Like, BTK was BTK from the 1970s. And I think, and they were right, because we will get to this, like, with the amount of his correspondence being what it was, I think they could tell. They had John Douglas in their ear as mm-hmm. a profiler. Like, he's about to kill. And I think the yeah. sense of urgency was a lot different. The subpoena to get this DNA was, was a very controversial move. But this prosecutor in this, they were all on the same team. And they had been for four decades. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. same DA's office, same police department. Like, I just think it was like, hey, we're going to ask for forgiveness, not permission right. when, we, when we take this because we're all, like, aligned in – Park City is a super small town, too. It's not California. Like, I think they were even more scared in that town than anyone ever had been of GSK.
4: I thought a very probably – an interesting thing that's totally unrelated to like anything that you guys are talking about because obviously i'm not like a professional true crime person you are
5: now jacqueline um
4: no but my first thought with that is like what an invasive um dna type of a sample to be taking too right it's from a pap smear very no it's very ironic and it's like your father is like a sexually motivated serial killer that that is such an in like it's such an invasive thing to mm-hmm. to do to somebody. And that was kind of the first thought that I thought when we were sort of talking about that.
2: The biggest
1: shock I'd ever had. He was he said the nicest guy in the world. I would have probably gave him a key to watch my dog if I had to when I was leaving town.
2: Raider, a churchgoer here at Christ Lutheran Church in North Wichita, and not just any member of the church, the president of the Congregation Council. It's consistent with what we had thought all along was that it was an individual who blended well into the community, was basically invisible to his neighbors and friends and coworkers because he was just an ordinary guy. Raider, a compliance officer in Park City. Residents knew him as a stickler for detail.
0: He'd harass you over your grass being over, what, six inches tall or something like that?
2: But Rader also handled animal control. You're about to see a KSN interview shot with Dennis Rader on animal attacks in Park City.
1: We've been tracking it down. The dogs are somewhat territorial as well as vicious. And we've been trying to round them up and corral them as best we can, working with the reporting parties of where the sheep were killed.
2: Business reference books dating back to the 70s show Dennis Rader as an ADT security technician. Key, since police have often thought BTK gained access to homes as a utility employee. We've also learned another piece of information about Dennis Rader that matches what police have thought all along about the BTK killer. He has a history with Wichita State University. An alumni book shows Rader graduated WSU in the late 70s. Police linked a BTK letter to a school copy machine. And the brother of victim Catherine Bright reports BTK asked him if you would seen him around campus. The haunting question now for police and an entire city, does this voice...
1: ...round him up and him as best we can?
2: ...match this one. Yes, you will find the homicide at 843 South Pershing. That, of course, a call police say was made by BTK himself. One member of the Christ Lutheran Church tells me he knew Raider for 20 years and never suspected a thing. Apparently... He was not alone.
0: So on February 25th, 2005, shortly after noon in Park City, Dennis Rader was taken into custody while he was driving near his home. One of the arresting officers asked, Mr. Rader, do you know why you're going downtown? And Rader replied, oh, I have suspicions why. Then the FBI and the ATF searched his home and vehicle. And they seized evidence, including computer equipment and a pair of black pantyhose retrieved from a shed. They also searched his church, his office at City Hall, and the main branch of the Park City Library.
4: As far as Rader's response to being arrested, well, Dennis Rader was genuinely shocked. He asked Lieutenant Landwehr the following at the start of his interrogation. He said, I need to ask you, how come you lied to me? how come you lied to me? And Landwehr replied, because I was trying to catch you. Landwehr told the ABA Journal that, quote, he couldn't get over the fact that I would lie to him. He could not believe that I did not want this to go on forever. And most people are aware of the fact that Dennis Rader has never been shy about confessing to his sins. When he was first interrogated, his confession was a 30 three-hour-long marathon in which he revealed each and every detail of his crime in a chilling matter of fact. And he also revealed the location of his quote-unquote motherlode of evidence.
5: And once Dennis Rader went to prison, he was interviewed by the famed profiler John Douglas, as we mentioned. And he also started speaking with and working with forensic psychologist Dr. Kathleen Ramsland. And he started corresponding with her and sharing information with her. And he did this for more than five years. And he still talks to her to this day. I do know that based on what Carrie told me. And according to Dennis Rader, he says the reason why he worked with Ramsland was because he wanted her to uncover this thing inside him that made him, quote unquote, go dark, which is his language about what happens to him when he goes into these modes where he needs to kill. And it's this element that he calls factor X. And to discuss everything uncovered in Raider's confession and everything he shared with Ramsland, it would take months for us to disclose that here. But here are some things that stood out to me as particularly interesting. So Dennis Raider described his ability to compartmentalize his life by calling it quote-unquote cubing, by drawing a distinct line between his normal life and when he went dark. Like
3: my dad was very good at like, Okay, I'm a dad now, now I'm gardening, now I'm walking the dog and my clothes, his clothes would change. Or now I'm a compliance officer, so I'm wearing a uniform and I have a truck so I can stalk, you know, or now I'm around police, so I'm going to look like more like a police officer. And now I'm at church, so I'm going to wear church clothes and I'm going to act like a church man. Now I'm with my parents, so I'm going to act like a son. But if you think of somebody like my dad or D'Angelo or Bundy um, or these other guys, they do have the ability to blend in so well i mean that's one of their strengths is their ability to like put on different like masks and clothes i mean by mask i mean like you know your human mask
0: raider also confided in ramsland that as he was growing up he fantasized about tying women down onto train tracks which you would see often in old movies and old cartoons he masturbated to his father's book about the lonely hearts killer And he personified his impulse to kill by calling it, quote, the Minotaur. When Raider was growing up, he started cutting out slick ads from magazine advertisements. That's what he called it. He would then draw ropes and gags on the pictures, and he pasted them onto these index cards that he would then carry around with him. And he also described his preferred masturbation practices, and he called them motel parties. So he would be alone in a motel room and he would bind his wrists and ankles, cover his head with a bag and restrict his breathing, which paralleled what he did to his victims.
4: Right. And something that I found particularly interesting, but honestly not surprising with BTK is Dennis Rader came up with these like cute little nicknames for his most disturbing acts. So in Raiders' correspondence with Ramsland, he said that whenever he referred to something that he found particularly arousing, such as getting spanked as a child or the image of a helpless woman being bound and gagged, he called it his, quote unquote, sparky big time. And he also hid trophies from his victims in what he liked to call hidey holes throughout Wichita, which is fucking insane to me. So creepy. Hidey holes?
5: hide it. Sparky big time. It's, no. it, it, it's, it's so. It makes it so much scarier.
4: Because it's, it's, like it's such a, like. It's like dumb bro nicknames for things. No way. He's like a clown serial mm-hmm. killer
5: hybrid. It's just. It's so disturbing.
4: No, it's so disturbing. And a lot of Raiders at general fantasies focused on women's lingerie. And he particularly liked satin panties that belonged to his victims. At each victim's home, he would take the time to rummage through all their stuff to take specific things that he wanted, and he kept them in his hidey holes, but he also buried some, taped some to bridges, and kept some at his church. But at the time that he shared all this with Ramsland, he couldn't exactly remember where all of his hidey holes were anymore. He also fixated on anything bound or knotted, and he loved abandoned silos, and he referred to them as castles, fantasizing about torturing women within them.
5: One thing that's really interesting about the silos, when I was doing some of the research, he was referencing how much he loved H.H. H. Holmes. And H.H. And H. Holmes had a murder castle, and then he's from Kansas. So he thought he was being really unique in that he's like the H.H. H. Holmes of Kansas. He of wants course. a murder barn with a murder silo, but he was still copying. It's still not original. We know he was reading the Lonely Hearts Killer book and getting off on that, and he was doing... Who did he copy Billy with?
0: Well, he copied... He's he's pulling from... He's definitely Everybody. copying... Yeah, He's definitely copying Zodiac. He's definitely copying Son of Sam. He's giving clues to where he... to who he is inside this. Uh, he was a student... Of serial killers, absolutely, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, you know he was so much so that you know when he gives himself that nickname and then comes up with all these other nicknames that that potentially he could you know he 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 was getting off on not only the actual act of it but people talking about him.
5: So one of the most chilling reveals that Dennis Rader made to Catherine Ramsland was that at the time of his arrest. He was actually actively planning to kill again. And he had made an attempt to kill again, similar to what he did to Anna Williams, which was one of his thwarted attempts in the 1990s. So Dennis Reuter had even set a date. It was in October of 2004. And he'd been stalking a particular woman who was the object of his obsession. And he himself, so with Catherine Ramsland from jail, she wrote a book and he wrote a portion of it. And the portion he wrote included a description of his plans in detail. Quote, This was supposed to be my opus, my grand finale. And to make it different, I would set the house on fire using propane canisters. And he said that he even went into this woman's backyard and knocked on her door, probably dressed as some serviceman for this ruse that he would do to get in the front door. And, uh, He bailed, similarly to what happened with Anna Williams, because a city street crew showed up unexpectedly to work outside the house on the roads. So he rescheduled, right? This is October. He planned to kill her the following spring. He would wait a couple of months, but he was arrested in February. So his arrest ultimately saved this woman because there's no doubt he's only failed once. When um, in the form of Catherine Bright's brother, Kevin, in the early 1970s. But there is this problem with what Dennis Rader says, right? This seems pretty fantastical. He's a pathological liar. So everything needs to be taken with a grain of salt. However, the police looked into this and they did find that a street crew had been set up in front of this woman's house it, on October 22nd of 2004. So it's possible that like this is this is true. And I read a little bit more about this woman. So this didn't come out until Ramsland's book came out and the police knew about it, but they didn't want to traumatize this woman because he had been so close to doing it. And, uh, he didn't want like the public airing of this to really fuck this woman up, but she did find out. And apparently, um, Landweir, the lead detective, was saying that she took a like a champ and this woman is a bad bitch and super tough. And she's like, Well, fuck it, he's in jail. I guess like what you don't know can't hurt you. And she didn't no. know that <laughs> she was being stalked, but he had been stalking her for months and he would have kept going.
4: Oh yeah. Wow.
3: So Dr. Catherine Ramslin, she's very close to my dad. She wrote a book that came out in 16 she actually got permission to interview him. And so it's kind of like this open book of my dad's brain. Um, my dad actually wanted to do it to help, you know, educate and help catch people like him, but also he wanted the attention because he's a narcissist and he asked, and then the money went to the victims. So they had to approve it. The problem I have read that book and I did use it for research and I have met her. Um, She's extended a lot of like friendship and kindness to my dad. They talk on the phone a lot. They play chess and stuff. The thing is, my dad's a really like non-reliable narrator because he's a pathological liar. So anything that comes out of my dad's mouth, you have to like run it through. Is he lying? And so unfortunately, even though he thinks he's trying to help, like I threw that book across the room, the detective threw it across the room. Like it's it's a very very difficult read it has the crimes in it in a lot of detail And then it has my dad basically throwing me under the bus at places my mom under the bus This is before my book came out. And so like it's just my dad being that narcissistic a-hole btk you know, and so again, like If that's the only person you've ever met after he was arrested, like the detectives and the criminologists, I would see where they would say, this guy doesn't have anything else there. And so one of the reasons I wrote my book was to come back and say, okay, look, we've got this book about his crimes that Wichita Eagle did with the police. It's solid. It's got, it's really solid. Okay. There's other books out there that are total crap. That one's solid. And then we got Ramslands, which is basically like BTK. And then we've got mine and we've got dad and Dennis Raider. And if you're gonna learn about him and learn how to catch these guys, you gotta combine all three.
0: Raider was charged and ultimately pled guilty to 10 counts of first degree murder. And as part of his plea, he had to confess to his crimes in open court.
1: First of all, Mr. Otero was strangled or a bag put over his head and strangled. Then I thought he was going down, and I went over and strangled Mrs. Otero. I thought she was down, Then I strangled uh, uh, Josephine. Thought she was down, and then I went over to Junior and put the bag on his head. After that, Mrs. Otero woke back up, and uh, you know she was pretty upset in what's going on. So I came back, and uh, at that point in time, strangled her. For, for the death strangle at that time. With your hands or what? No, with a cord, with a with a rope. And uh, then I, uh, I think at that point in time, I redid Mr. Otero, put the bag over his head, uh, went over, and then took Junior. Oh, oh, before that, she asked me to uh, to, to uh, save her son, so I actually had taken the bag off, and then I was really upset at that point in time. So basically. When Mr. Otero was down, Mrs. Otero was down, I went ahead and and, uh, took uh, uh, Junior, I put another bag over his head and took him to the other bedroom at that time. What did you do then? Uh, Put a bag over his head, I put a Uh, cloth over his head, a t-shirt, and a bag so he couldn't tear a hole in it, and uh, he subsequently died from that. And then when I went back, uh, Josephine had woke back up. What did you do then? I took her to the basement and eventually uh, hung her. Are you hung her in the basement? Yes, sir. Or did you do anything else at that time? Yes, I uh, I had some sexual fantasies. But that was uh, after she was hungry.
5: From the public's perspective, the wheels of justice were slowly turning. But behind the scenes, Carrie's life was in emotional ruins.
3: Writing was the only way I could heal in a way nothing else could. Like, I had done everything. I had talked to therapists. I I had church, I had my husband, I had my kids. Nothing healed me in the way that I needed to heal except writing, and that was a gift that was given to me. And so writing helped me find my dad. But it was like it was a very cathartic process, but it was it gutted me. I mean, I basically shut down, left all of my normal life and worked my butt off for four years so that I could heal and talk because like Four or five years ago, I couldn't even say BTK out loud. Like, I wouldn't be able to look you in the face. And so to get from that to where I can go on, like, primetime TV and do it or do it live. I had put a lot of it, tucked it a lot of it away after my father went to prison in 2005. Um, I didn't get into therapy till 2007. Like, I had bad PTSD. I thought I was going crazy. She's like, no, you have PTSD. So once she put a name to it, I realized I wasn't insane. You know, I thought it was I had gone insane. But I had tucked a lot of it away, or I could only process it in pieces, or I could only process it in therapy. It was a very long, like ten year process, even before I spoke to the media. And then I kinda sort of just threw up when I did speak to the media, which I think you probably know is pretty common with like crime and trauma survivors. Like we don't talk and then when we do, we just don't stop talking. So after my story came out, then I like I had sent so many notes to this journalist and at the Wichita Eagle, this big, huge piece came out in um, the spring of 15 called forgiveness isn't tidy. And he told me, I had sent him like 80 pages of notes, like just thinking, like answering questions. And he, and the journalist was like, I think you're a writer. He's like, you think really well in your writing. Cause I, I can express myself better in writing than I can speaking. And so I've had like criminologists and detectives tell me, Like, they're using my book to teach in college. You know, I talked to, like, some criminal justice kids in New York. I talked to, like, 50 kids over Zoom recently about, like, victim advocacy. And I've got detectives telling me that they use my book now as a reference to profiling. So, like, that's awesome. Like, I never expected anybody to care or that it would make an impact. And so I'm sort of, like, I've only had one conversation ever with the FBI when he was arrested. And I'm like, why am I not sitting in Quantico talking to these people? You know, like, why am I not like, why are people that caught D'Angelo? Like, why aren't we all in there talking, like, comparing notes?
4: Carrie didn't speak publicly until 15 years after her father was revealed as BTK. And on the heels of another high profile serial killer arrest in the form of Joseph D'Angelo, many have wondered if his daughters will decide to speak publicly as well. And when the news of the Golden State killer's arrest was made public, Carrie instantly thought of them. So when
3: they caught Golden State, I was really thrilled that they had caught him because I I imagine that was like sort of that big white Moby white well they would never catch, you know. And then I also found out then really quickly he had children and I was devastated for them. I was bawling that night knowing that they were going exactly through what I was going through, you know. Um, and not, no, not just that night, but knowing the rest of their lives, knowing here I am and how horrible it still can be. You know, I wouldn't wish my life on my worst enemy. And then to find out these innocent people were going to have to go through all this, you know, with the insane media and the media around Golden State, it was even worse than BTK because like there wasn't Facebook then there wasn't Twitter then, you know, and so
5: like we were, we were harassed pretty bad by the media, but I can't even imagine what their family's been through. It's no doubt and no surprise to hear that Carrie still deals with pain and heartache over the truth about her father every single day, but she's tried to channel her experience into some semblance of good. What's it like to be
3: the daughter of a serial killer? I mean, day to day, I'm pretty much a normal person. I mean, I try to be a mom, you know, I'm a writer, I'm a victim's advocate, you know, so um i try to live a pretty normal life um moving you know we've been more careful about privacy so we run into some issues with privacy um you can run into issues with the schools the schools do not do well when you tell them like you're the mom like you're the daughter of a serial killer you know they freak out on you so like when we moved we tried not to tell the schools i mean first like don't believe everything you hear in the news i mean they were saying i had kids I didn't at the time they were saying I had turned him in. I didn't turn him in. I mean, I did tell him about the eighth murder, but I didn't, I didn't approach the police before he was arrested. And then they were saying that like my blood had turned, like they had taken DNA from me while they had gone to my college and got it. So I did learn that stuff later, but a lot of that stuff, especially early on when these cases come out, everybody wants everything. Don't believe a lot. Don't believe everything out there because there's still stuff out there about it. That's inaccurate. And then I think a true again, like with D'Angelo's daughters or any time this happens, like you need to give the families privacy, like leave them alone. Don't be trying to figure out who they are. If they want to talk, they will talk and they have the right the rest of their lives not to talk or they have the right to talk as much as they want. So I have the right to talk as, to not talk. And then I have the right to talk whenever I want. And because it heals me, but, for other people that don't want to talk, they have their right to privacy. And so we're all going to like heal different and we need to be patient with each other like on our journeys because none of us are in the same place.
5: In part one of this three-parter, we challenge you to be open-minded about this concept of empathy and whether or not it was possible for Dennis Rader to possess it selectively. And obviously there's no way for us to ever know the answer to that for sure because we can't get inside his head. And we can't believe a word he says because he's a fucking pathological liar. What we do know is that Dennis Rader, as BTK, was about as evil and cold as they come. And while serial killers are rare, they are profoundly effective at causing far-reaching misery, misery so dense that it bleeds into the roots of communities and becomes a part of them. So the best we can do is hope to find balance and neutralize such evil with extreme compassion for one another, extreme camaraderie, extreme good, and as trite and cheesy as this is going to sound, extreme hope for healing. And this theme echoes a phrase we say often about the true crime genre as a whole. It's all about restoring order back from chaos.
4: And a huge, huge thank you to Carrie for being our first degree for this episode. If you have a story you'd like to tell, no story is too small or insignificant. So please email us at hello at podcast.com. You can follow us on Instagram at Alexis Linkletter, at Billy Jensen, at Jack Vanek, at The First Degree. Please join our Facebook group by searching The First Degree on the search bar and stick around because we're going to kill some time and talk about our serial killer names.
0: And remember, only you can prevent serial killers and keep your friends close.
5: But not
4: not that that close. (laughs) Hey,
5: Jack, why don't we go? You say one word, I say one word, and we bounce back and forth. You go, say but. but. Try it. But. Not. That. No. No. Start from the beginning. So Billy starts? No, you. But. Okay.
4: But.
1: Not
5: that close. Nailed it. Happy chicken wing day. Sources for today's episode include the Wichita Eagle, Kansas.com, Rolling Stone, Court Documents, Psychology Today, and as always, our first degree interview is always our largest source.
4: Oh boy. Welcome to another episode of Killing Time. I would just like to let everybody know that we have had so many technical difficulties today. It's like our first time recording all over again. I'm feeling nostalgic. How are you feeling, Alexis, with your microphone literally falling off?
5: Um, I'm thinking we- it's time for new microphone stands for our remote uh, recording, but I'm feeling really good today for once. We've got some good vibes
4: going on, guys. We did. We had a nice few days, um, and it's all going to be okay, maybe. Billy, how are you feeling? Your mustache is, and facial hair is looking fantastic. And your hair is really long. You look it kind of like, like a Devin. mountain man. You look sort of like Devin Sawa.
0: I don't know who that is, but
4: okay. He was a heartthrob from the 90s, and he okay. had a, he had a little bit of a long sort of a kind of swoop that you're you have going on. You look like a 90s heartthrob. Okay. I wouldn't go that far. He looks like he's from the nineties.
0: <laughs> you can't give me that much. No, yeah, no Alexis is going to bite that right in the ass. No, because okay. Billy,
5: then I'll start being like, "Oh, I'm handsome and famous, and I'm nice really soul. beefy." <laughs> like uh, he, gets, he gets his head gets too big if we give him even one compliment, so we got to keep it reined in.
0: Got to so keep it reined in, Billy. Just yeah, remember,
4: it's... deep in your soul, right. I just gave you a compliment. Just keep. Thank it Thank you,
0: thank you so much. Deep in my soul, I'm still a really skinny kid that won't take a shirt off at the beach.
4: That's fine. I've given you uh, plenty, so no compliments (laughs) from me. (laughs) All right. Well, so this episode of Killing Time, you know, we finished our BTK three-parter, and we thought that we would, you know, dive into the world of nicknames. And all, all these serial killers have nicknames. Some are given to them. Some give themselves one and i thought it would be funny if we asked our facebook group what our serial killer nicknames would be have you either of you guys seen these nope i have not seen them i now.
5: didn't look on purpose because you told me not to because you wanted it to be funny
4: well i knew you would spoil it if i didn't tell you not to okay so are you guys ready
0: yes
5: ready
4: first and most liked one from jen f- just for me is jack the sipper Ooh, Jack the Sipper is good. Right? I'm sipping yeah. right now. You really are. And you know what? I wanted to make my AIM screen name back in the day, maybe when I was 13 years old. I wanted to make it Jack the Ripper, but J A C the Ripper. Somebody had already mm. taken it. I love that. I love that.
5: Jack the Sipper is better. So it's good you didn't do that one. So you can do this one. Yeah. Yep. Yeah,
4: instead. Um next comes from Shay, and she says, Mine's Jack Attack. Alexis, obviously, The Tank, and Billy. The just, Tank
5: is not a serial killer name.
4: It's, it's not, but Billy is just Slenderman.
5: <laughs> <laughs> Billy Slenderman Jensen is has my vote.
4: <laughs> it's pretty good. Okay, the next one, um, let's see. Vanek the Vulture. This one comes from Lauren. Vanek the Vulture, Alexis, exfis, ex, nope, can't even pronounce that. Alexis, Exfis. <laughs> Asphyxiator? Ex, no, just asphyxiate,
5: Alexis. Asphyxiate. Is that it? <laughs> yeah, sounds
0: like a perfume. It sounds asphyxiate. like
4: they want me to asphyxiate, <laughs> Alexis. Asphyxiate and Billy Phantasm. Gross. You don't like it? <laughs>
5: I hate Billy's. Mine's cool because it sounds like it sounds like she wants me to asphyxiate, which I'm fine with. And then, um. Yeah, yours is good. All, all fine. I'll take them all.
4: Okay, Billy. Except except Billy's. The next one. We're gonna find Billy a good one by by the end of this. This one comes from Camille. Billy is the dreadful detective.
5: That's pretty good. Mm. It sounds more like a his uh pro wrestler name.
0: The dreadful detective. Yeah. Yeah. How come there's not a? I was. He wears a monocle. Hell yeah. Why is there (laughs) not a?
5: It turns into a ninja star the monocle it turns, <laughs> oh, into, yeah. it turns into those no do you guys no, remember Zena warrior princess she had those yes. razor sharp rings that mm-hmm. she would throw yeah and then come back to her after it sliced someone's head off he has that but it's a monocle and then he has one that's a pocket watch and he can and then he can also swing around in a chain and <laughs> launch them
0: yes
4: it kind of makes me think about like a mortal Kombat character like that is like your choice Finish of weapon. him yeah Billy, do you yeah. like the dreadful detective or are we gonna keep moving?
0: I think I think that should be a WWE wrestling personality, the dreadful detective. There has not been a detective wrestler. There was Boss Man who was a police guy, but there has not been a detective. So I'd like to see that.
4: Okay. Um our next one comes from Ashley and Alexis would be the April Spritz assassin. <laughs> Oh,
5: hell to the fuck yeah, Ashley. <laughs> yes. Have my back.
4: Yep. I would be the emo Annihilator. Yep. Pretty tight. And Billy probably wouldn't get a name because everyone would just be like, yeah, okay, probably should have seen that coming. <laughs> 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 yep. <laughs> yep. Um Let's go to this. Uh, Meg says Jack is the scene slayer. Billy is the McDonald's Ooh. murderer. And Alexis Ooh. is the lizard lawbreaker or the amphibian uh, arsonist. Oh,
5: yes. <laughs> Nail it. People getting creative in quarantine. We're I'm getting into this.
4: Really creative. Okay. Um, Katie says Jack attack. Okay. The stay awake pill killer, Alexis.
5: Hell yeah! Kill, all killing all night and all day. Yeah, no may, sleep
4: maybe for the wicked. all your murders would be in the middle of the night because you're the only one awake. I guess a lot of murders are by serial killers are probably in the middle of the night, but
5: and a lot of just random murders are caused by
4: like meth fueled, upper fueled rages. So yeah, that makes sense. Okay, um, Britain says some of these are you know just for one of us. Jack is the crop top killer. I don't hate it. That's um, perfect. Angie says Jack is the Vanic Panic, which I really like. Wow. It's almost like Satanic Panic. I'm feeling it. Alexis is the meticulous murderer. Ooh.
0: Mm, that's good.
4: Sexy. And Billy is the small world slayer, which I don't understand. I'm into that. Around, but I like oh, it. It's, it's a small world after all. <gasps> oh, yeah, it's, it's for small Disney. Yeah. <gasps> Wait, these are pretty good then. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Next is. Somebody also said Billy is Slenderman. Alexis is, the- <laughs> <laughs> Alexis is the organized killer. I mean, look how she organizes the show, Bonnie says.
5: Yeah, yeah, Bonnie.
4: And then Jack is the mermaid killer. I get in trance when I listen to her talk, and I trust she is almost like how mermaids would lead sailors into bad places and then bam. Ooh. I do not think that my voice is very um, nice to listen to, so thank you um my mom just texted me and she has an idea she says billy needs to be the op slasher short for owl poem slasher (gasps) may come on Did may just text you that from the other room yes she's probably literally (laughs) i'm i'm recording at my parents house right now my mom is listening listening from the the other side of the door (laughs) and she's like i've got the answer (laughs) Uh, she always does that may she always does does. okay dara says jack would be the punk rock punisher love it alexis Mm -hmm. is the type a terrorist and billy
5: okay wait (laughs) wait a second (laughs) are you feeling this jack is that instagram handle available (laughs) because i feel like the type a terrorist Is something that like resonated in a way that I never thought anything would or could.
4: I've I've never seen you so excited in anything in yeah. my entire life. No, type A terrorist.
5: Oh fuck yeah!
4: But Alexis, you might be a little bit jealous of Billy's from Dara because his is the chicken nugget nightcrawler. I'll
0: take that. If you this is why
5: me and Billy's relationship is so adversarial because like that makes me hate you, Billy. Because <laughs> I want to
4: be that. I know I knew this one would hurt you and if anybody could see how wide Alexis's eyes got as I described that, I know yeah. you so well that I know that that nickname belongs to you. And a fun fact I learned about Alexis this weekend is that we' were, we had a, a getaway this weekend together and with Jared and yes. she we were, I'm
5: their I'm their daughter <laughs> I'm their daughter family getaway moral of the story.
4: <laughs> and we're talking about when you're hungover, like everybody needs that one food. You know, and my food, for some reason, I need sushi and Alexis needs a nugget. Yep.
0: Yeah. But here's the reason why here's the reason why Alexis is disqualified from any sort of nugget nicknames, because there are wonderful sauces you can use with the chicken nuggets and Alexis prefers ketchup.
4: Yep. I also learned that you should
5: have you should have seen the heart attack I had when we got to the beach with our chicken nuggets. And I was like, where's the ketchup? And Jack's like, we have ranch, we have honey mustard. We got all the sauces, no ketchup. I'm like, well, what's the point? It's not (laughs) even worth it. I think I had like one because I was so sad. There was no ketchup. It ruined the whole day.
4: I just don't, I, that's the fun part about a nugget is you get all the sauces and you can Mm -hmm. dip from sauce to sauce to sauce. And maybe I'll do a ketchup, but I probably will do more of a a barbecue or a ranch or a sweet and sour or a hot mustard. Uh-huh.
5: I'll you guys, it's not even worth it if there's not ketchup. Mm-hmm.
4: Okay. Next one is um, Nita says, Jack is the social influencer killer. Tight. Alexis is the SoCal tank. Do you like that yeah. one?
5: Yeah. <laughs> I know, but that sounds more like a fucking like, that's sounds- you know how like Heidi Klum is like the body. Like that yeah. sounds more like a, like my, some other like hot girl, hypothetical hot girl name. The SoCal tank is like fucking cool. <laughs> yeah, She's a cool chick. <laughs> Definitely. Whoever that is. It's not me, but it could be.
4: Okay. And then Billy is the investigative murderer. And then this is one I like from Alyssa. You guys, if we were like a uh, a team, we would just be jab. Jab is perfect. Mm-hmm. Mm. Mm-hmm. hmm 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 mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm.
4: And Billy, this is now, this is the f- my favorite name. The McMurderer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
5: Oh, wow. I mean. That's really good.
4: Is anything more perfect?
5: Or it could be that. What's like a wordplay on the Hamburglar, Ham murderer? <laughs>
4: Hamburglar. <laughs> hamburger is pretty much it.
5: What it was. I got to think this. I got to think this through. I'll, I'll revisit this some other time after I ru- ruminated on that.
4: Circle back in about a week when you don't get any sleep and you just think about this. Yeah, exactly. Um, Marie says Billy could be the original Slender Man, just like GSK was the original <laughs> Night Stalker. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Right, <laughs> fucking absolutely. I kind of like that one the
5: best. Honestly, like, has anyone seen Salad Fingers?
4: Yes, that Billy's was Billy's salad.
5: Billy's Salad Fingers.
4: I feel like I have Salad Fingers sometimes. I have very. No, But Billy, long like fingers. Billy's, like body type and
5: like height <laughs> and like gangly sort of vibe and like black and white and like he doesn't like salad, which makes it ironic
0: i'll eat a salad if it has steak in it
4: and french fries and no lettuce yeah (laughs) yeah and like buttered rice i was gonna say and and spaghetti you're
0: throwing some buttered rice in there and some (laughs) spaghetti we ordered
5: i was just gonna say billy we ordered that from that japanese place once and he got spaghetti (laughs) 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 that
4: that came with your steak that was when we first started recording. So it was when I was first starting to get to know you, Billy. And I was like, this is a very um, this is a odd choice. move. It's a choice. Mm-hmm. You yeah. still stand by it?
0: I still stand by it. I stand by all my <laughs> dietary choices.
4: <laughs>
5: Sometimes I'm like, Billy, what are you doing? He's like, I'm eating a piece of chicken I just took out of the microwave. I'm like, a piece of chicken? He's like, yeah, it was frozen. I'm like, ew, like a frozen piece of chicken that you threw in the microwave? He's like, he's like, it's breaded. I'm like, oh, that's better. <laughs> yeah oh my god okay
4: you guys there's a few more left and then i think we're good caitlin says i'm the festival fatale love it chooses victims based on headliners alexis is the socal siren lures men down to the marina beach and then you can just like stay at my apartment when you're done right yes and then billy is the disney dark prince leaves a mickey moniker on all of his victims it's yes. pretty good uh, Trine says Billy is the owl ornament offender mm-hmm. I like that one
0: never gonna let live that down the, the owl poem
4: Jack is so these are all uh, um, alliterations Jack is the spritz the spritz stain strangler which I do appreciate because I do spill all of my drinks and Alexis is the LA lockdown lunatic fuck yeah
0: yeah that one wins
4: (laughs) dude i feel seen for the first time in a long time wow that one that one's you wow yeah this is really solid Mm -hmm. this is it's teaching us a lot about ourselves um and each other
5: and all of you which we thank you for and you guys know us so well Mm-hmm. Dude, the LA lockdown lunatic is like reverberates into my soul and yeah. into the soul of all my ancestors. <laughs> <laughs> all, right. all right. Well, you guys did an amazing job. I think we should call it. We're at 14 minutes and 30 seconds.
3: Beep. beep, beep, beep.